Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. So glad to finally get a chance to talk about Emissary, the premiere episode of Deep Space Nine on last week's show, and big thanks to Derek Tyler Attico for joining me on that episode. Deep Space Nine is probably your favorite Star Trek show, statistically, so I was glad that Derek and I could talk about Emissary and about the series as a whole. Next up, what you leave behind, right? The finale. Well, we'll get there all in good time. Among the many aspects of Emissary that Derek and I discussed, there was one in particular that is relatively alien to the universe of Star Trek, so to speak, at least until the debut of DS9, and that's the subject of religion. Gene Roddenberry wasn't exactly a card-carrying atheist, but he shared the growing belief of his time that many of society's ills could be cured by letting humanist values rather than religious ones guide the governments of Earth. Gene believed that as humanity evolved in sophistication, it would eventually leave faith and religion in its wake as distractions that it no longer needed. And that's his opinion, of course. Whatever you think of religion, it's clearly not going to go anywhere anytime soon, regardless of the fact that we've developed space travel and iPhones and Dippin' Dots. This view of religion as a bromide was expressed as explicitly as possible by the original series, which is to say, not all that much. Primetime American TV in the 60s was only going to go along with so much bad talk about capital G God. As the years moved on, though, and Trek moved to the big screen, Roddenberry's attempts to critique Western religion became more overt. His original script for the first Trek movie was called The God Thing, and would see the Enterprise confront a spacecraft from another dimension that claims to be God, and would feature Kirk in a fistfight with Jesus. The basic idea was reworked into the plot of Star Trek The Motion Picture, and would also feature in the climax of Star Trek V. The part of Jesus would be played by a rock monster. As TNG debuted, Trek's criticism of religion picked up speed, with Picard and crew often encountering races and planets who had let unchecked ideology drive them to disaster. In the third season episode, Who Watches the Watchers?, the commentary becomes even more pointed. Picard compliments the Mintakans casting aside of superstition as a major cultural achievement, and he bemoans their imminent backslide into religious observance brought on by the Federation's interference. That strict tone against the practice of belief would hold until 1993 and the debut of Deep Space Nine, a show that put faith center stage with the introduction of the devout and spiritual Bajoran race. Sure, as far as Cisco and the Federation were concerned, the godlike prophets in the wormhole that the Bajorans revered were merely an advanced form of life, magic in the Clarkian sense and not divine. But there's two big holes in that theory as far as I can see. Number one, if you're talking about a being or beings that can alter time and space and matter, how is that different than a god in the classical sense? And number two, whether or not the Bajorans are correct in their belief that the prophets are divine, their faith in them has guided their society through the ages and specifically gave them strength during the near century of Cardassian occupation. And that's the real issue with the atheist utopia that Trek presents, that tradition goes far beyond the mere belief in the supernatural. It provides spiritual solace, it brings people together when you're doing it right, and in many cases, it's an inextricable part of one's cultural identity. No matter what Gene thinks, there's going to be faith and spirituality in the 24th century. 
But you don't want to hear just me, a member of the laity, spout off on this subject. So I called up Dr. James McGrath to provide more clarity on this issue. Dr. McGrath is the Clarence L. Goodwin Chair in New Testament Language and Literature at Butler University. And we talked all about religion and Trek and whether they can get along, and you'll hear that discussion in just a few minutes. Before that, I wanted to remind you one last time that we'd really appreciate it if you could take two minutes and complete our brief internet survey about your listening habits. Our parent network, Just Enough Trope, is launching an internet radio station, and we need your opinions about what our programming should be. What kind of podcasts do you listen to? What kind of music do you like? Let us know, because if you don't, it's just going to be Avril Lavigne 24-7. There's a link to the survey in the show notes. Click on it or on our pinned post on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash EISTpod. Also, Dr. McGrath has written a book on today's topic called Theology and Science Fiction, where he goes into further exploration in many different sci-fi properties of the same issues we barely scraped the surface of today. I'll have a link in the show notes where you can pick it up on Amazon for further reading. Check it out. Also, if you want to help our show grow, stop by our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod to become a member of the crew. We just released the next installment of our DS9 recaps, and we've got Voyager recaps and more content coming to our Patreon in the coming weeks, so don't miss out. Become a patron and a crew member of Enterprising Individuals today. All right, six Hail Marys and study up your Star Trek concordance, and with that, let's get underway. My guest on the show today is Dr. James McGrath. Dr. McGrath is the Clarence L. Goodwin Chair in New Testament Language and Literature at Butler University. He's also a writer, editor, and a podcaster. His blog on religious issues and their intersection with pop culture and the everyday is called Religion Prof. It can be found at patheos.com. Dr. McGrath, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on. Whenever I have a guest on the show uh, who hasn't been on before, I always ask them how they first became a Star Trek fan. Uh, do you remember when you first discovered Star Trek? I could say no, but I'm ho- I'm going to guess as a podcaster myself that you're Take hoping I'll say a little more than that and not give one word <laughs> answers. Sure. Uh, I've been a Star Trek fan as long as I can remember. I mean, I remember episodes, you know, glimpses, snippets in my earliest memories. I mean, it's clearly something that I was watching before I was really making making very conscious uh, television choices, uh, sure. if you want to put it that way. Yeah. And I have some very distinct memories. And of course, those early childhood memories are often reinforced by, you know, photos that we have from childhood and things like that. Yeah. But I know that there's a Christmas when I got one of those play sets with the... Um, the, the larger size action figures, you know, that Star Trek tended to have in those days in the 70s rather than the smaller ones that uh, Star Wars had. Yeah. And there was a you know, an Enterprise bridge and things like that. And so Star Trek has been with me for as long as I can remember. And that's, I think, all I can all I can really say. Uh, if you if you want to uh, get other relatives and family members on the podcast and see if they can bring greater clarity by all means. But Star Trek has been part of my life throughout as far as I know. Yeah, my my situation is very similar to that. It just sort of being kind of always there. There must have been some point of initial contact, yeah. some first contact, if you will. But uh, yeah, it's just always kind of been around for me. Pun intended? Pun intended, absolutely. Yeah. First contact, a lot of puns. so uh, yeah. <laughs> probably be a lot of puns in this episode. I hope so. Um, I'll make at least some of them, but uh, yeah, if we're do both your best. doing it, all the better. <laughs> uh, 
there was a uh, the, what we're going to talk about today on the show uh, at first blush might seem uh, incongruous. Um, there's a controversy uh, in the summer of 2017 when Entertainment Weekly did a cover story on the soon-to-be-released Star Trek Discovery. And one part of the story, uh, there's an exchange between Jason Isaacs, who plays Captain Lorca on the series, and Kirsten Beyer, who's a writer and producer. And Isaac used an ad lib in a scene, something like... Um, Oh, my God, or, or for God's sake, or something like that. And after the cut was called, uh, the writer of the article um, depicts a, a conversation between Bayer and Isaacs in which she tells him, you know, you can't say God because religion doesn't exist in the 23rd century. And that made a lot of people mad, or at least it made a very uh, few loud people mad. Uh, as mm. how, That's how the Internet works. And I think at first blush, for most viewers, the answer to whether religion is important in Star Trek would be, you know, a resounding no. The characters never mention it. They're never seen practicing any religion. Uh, when they're confronted with other races' religions, they tend to kind of smile and shake their heads kind of condescendingly. And that's all by design, because show creator Roddenberry is often described on a scale ranging from secular humanist to inveterate atheist. But it's, I'm sure, not that simple. Um, when you've got humans, or really where you've got sentience, it seems, you've got faith and you've got belief. Uh, so that sounds about right. Um, yeah. And it was interesting. I was on a a panel uh, talking with uh, journalists about religion and science fiction. Uh, it was with uh, John Scalzi, uh, the author who wrote sure. uh, Red Shirts, which yeah. a lot of uh, Star Trek fans appreciate, and which has a lot of interesting, you know, it's it's got a character who's a seminarian and has interesting <laughs> theological elements in it. Mm -hmm. And asked why he, as somebody who is not a religious person, writes stories in which there are characters who have religious beliefs. He said, because my characters are human. And humans have these kinds of beliefs, and this is part of human existence en masse, even if it's not always the experience of each individual. Yeah. Um, I'm actually working on a, a chapter for a volume on uh, theology and Star Trek, which might seem like a might, might seem like a strange combination to some folks, uh, as you were <laughs> yeah. saying. And yet, if we go back as far as we can in televised Star Trek, there's not just religion but there's theology right um sure. i'm actually thinking about starting my chapter uh, i hope i don't spoil it and require myself to have to do some rewrites now because i <laughs> i kind of give this away give us a, give us a taste <laughs> right but I'm, I'm thinking about starting it with you know something that i think could be a a star trek trivia question right what's okay. the first who's the first person to talk about theology on uh -huh. star trek right and you know if you think about um, where it goes and it's it's it can be awkward for those of us who weren't watching glued to the set in the 60s and so know exactly which one aired first but the the second pilot for star trek right so uh -huh. right they make the menagerie the cage whichever version you know it under they make you know, the episode with christopher pike i'm liking christopher pike on discovery by the way i hope we'll come back to that but yeah we yeah. definitely will. Um, they try again with you know captain kirk and the second pilot so the second episode made although not the second not the first one to air uh was you know took its title from that opening uh monologue called where where no man has gone before mm -hmm. and features these two characters in particular who have these high um high ratings of as far as their um psi abilities is concerned right? right and so they're they start to undergo this transformation as a result of the enterprise trying to cross or crossing the 
galactic frontier, the edge of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And Gary Mitchell, there's the answer, right? And so I'll test, I'll be testing people who read the chapter will know whether they listen to the podcast, right? Because I gave away the answer even before the, the chapter is finished. But sure. <laughs> Gary Mitchell starts talking about, you know, becoming a god. And Captain Kirk says, you know, of all of the, you know, if anything, a god needs compassion, you know. And, right. <laughs> and these are theological statements, right? Yeah. I mean, how do you know that a God needs compassion? Who gets to say that a God needs compassion? Have <laughs> right. people always agreed that God, is that like in the definite, is it, if you look it up in the dictionary and if so, even then, does that matter? Yeah. And so wh- what I think is particularly interesting is that this show that in many ways depicts a secular future, right? It's definitely secular, at least in the sense that religiosity may be a personal thing, Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we gather that Uhura knows something about Christianity in a <laughs> particular episode. Sure. But it's not something that people wear on their sleeve. It's not very overt. Um, as I said in something I've written before, you know, it may be that evangelicals are not serving on the enterprise because they find it hard to obey, you know, to stay in line with the, um, I almost said the Great Commission, the um, Prime Directive, <laughs> right? Uh, sure. But, you know, the, the Prime Directive <laughs> and the Great Commission might seem like they're, yeah. Like, I want to share my faith. Okay, sorry, next candidate for Starfleet. You know, this is not going to work, right? We're yeah, going to not tamper with cultures. We're going to right. observe and learn, but we're... And so it may be that certain kinds of religiosity continue to exist, but they just are not compatible with Starfleet values. That's but there's all kinds of interesting, you know, things that suggest that, well, that there's a need to talk about God, even in this secular future. Oh, yeah. And even from a creator who is uh, nominally an atheist. Yeah. And as far as the values of Starfleet go, you know, their their rationality and and science and discovery. And it's easy to argue that one can be rational and scientific and and be uh, religious or spiritual still. And in Trek's future, we're constantly reminded that it's a world that's quote unquote solved its problems you know there's no political Mm. strife or war Uh, you know the humanities put that behind them put childish things behind them to Mm. mangle a biblical phrase and it's not at the top of the bill but it's also often implied that that includes religious practice and spiritual belief that part of our childishness was believing in a man in the sky or what have you and yet um you know as you mentioned as you're pointing out the original star trek was made in america in the 60s there's no way that you could have a totally atheistic sci-fi series on tv i mean there's there's a chapel on the enterprise for god's sake uh, literally um and apparently the network wanted a chaplain on the show but roddenberry was like chaplain of what mm. And I think that's particularly interesting. You know, you said there's a chaplain for God's sake, literally. And I'm not sure whether you meant there's literally a chapel for God's sake. And then for God's sake is just the the interjection (laughs) or whether it's there's literally a chapel and it's literally for God's sake. Right. Because there's nothing in the chapel, as far as I can recall, that relates to any specific religious tradition. There is a cross, I believe, but then there's also another symbol that is not, it looks like it, you know, has religiosity to it, but it has no no connection to any earthly religion. And is there a cross, I mean, I'm trying to think back to, you know, Captain Kirk performing a wedding and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like trying to, trying to remember some of the details. Um, Yeah. I mean, certainly the, the, the wedding itself is not, uh, not not heavy on the uh, the religiosity by any means. No, but right? uh, when uh, the bride comes in, though, she does kneel at the altar, uh, suggesting mm. uh, Catholic uh, faith, I suppose. Yeah, or well, you know, and the Episcopalians could get in there too. You know, mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm, like, you mm-hmm. know, um, yeah. It yeah. seems to me that it seems to me that when when Earth humans head for space, you don't often get a lot of God out there, unless it's some kind of horrible elder God or something like that. You know, when we do space sci-fi. 
you don't see religion take the trip unless it's baked in i guess like like mormonism in the original uh, battlestar galactica or whatever the hell was happening in the uh, battlestar reboot um and i guess an exception would be something that's relatively close to where we are now that's set in the real world um the show the expanse uh, mm. also has mormons and now in the the most recent season uh they've added a Met- uh, methodist reverend uh, to the cast yeah, and I, I really I really like her character, yeah, although I, I often stumble over the character's surname, uh, as I'm sure many people do. What was uh, the surname? It's, well, it's Reverend Anna. Oh, let me think if I can get the... Oh, is it uh, like uh, Russian or... Um... Yeah, it's... Okay. Uh, and I mean, she personally, you know, I mean, she doesn't have any accent, there's none, but... Sure. Uh, and I'm like, I, do I just want to call her Reverend Anna, which I feel like I'm not being as respectful as I should to her <laughs> right. uh, as a clergy person who... She'd be okay with that, though, it seems. She's easygoing. <laughs> right. And it seems like uses that. But yeah, I mean, it's just great having this sort of mainline minister, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, certainly there's been... You know, there's been secular sci-fi. There's been, you know, stereotyped, uh, you know, either Mormonism or Catholicism or, you know, kind of evangelical Protestantism or these kinds of things. But someone who's mainline, who's just, it's like, I'm wrestling with things. I'm engaging in these experiences and doing so enthusiastically because the inherent character of the experience and the mystery is important, but faith is an element not in any mm-hmm. kind of way that I'm going to impose on you, but it's important to me. And yeah. you, get, you, you discover that as you get to know. That kind of sort of nuanced religiosity is sometimes harder to depict on screen and harder to depict, period, you know, in fiction. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's much easier to use cardboard cutout characters, right, who may not have a lot of depth, but sure. what they represent uh, is is very clear. And so I always appreciate when someone has that kind of character who it's like, yeah, I can, I can perform a service, you know, and I have some convictions and I can talk about those. And yet I can also have uncertainties and yeah. be figuring it out as I go along alongside others who may not share some of the starting point, but yet are thrown into the situation with me and things like that. Yeah, it's a space Methodism almost. She's not a, like a one-note character who's introduced to, you know, have her faith or convictions stand in the way or be a complication. Like, as they're, and I don't want to ruin the, the third uh, season. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the show's great. But as they are progressing to this kind of unknown, she is really exploring her reaction and her decisions yeah. uh, through the lens of her faith, which I thought was really neat. I I don't know. I, I think that Gene might disagree, but I think it's probably a lack of ima- imagination to assume that there's no religious stories uh, to be told in space sci-fi. I read an essay in college um, by C.S. Lewis called, uh, I think it was called Religion and Rocketry. Mm-hmm. And it's all about him speculating on whether there's life on other worlds and whether or not original sin applies to them or if they have their own original sin, you know, mm-hmm. if they had a space Jesus come and die for them or if we should be ministering to them or if we as fallen beings are actually a danger to them, like if we could cause their fall. And all of that is C.S. Lewis's space trilogy, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I thought you were going to say at one point that, you know, the, the potential spoilers were not about uh, episodes that people might not have seen of The Expanse, right? At this stage, if you're not caught up, you really should be, right? Yeah, but absolutely. I thought you were going to say, you know, there's possible spoilers about the future of Methodism here. <laughs> um, you know, I particularly the United Methodists are having a debate right now about things that intersect with this character and uh, her life and <laughs> her perspective and things like that. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's interesting yeah. to- They have big plans. <laughs> right? You know, there's there are interesting things about, you know, the it's- if it's hard to imagine aliens and then to 
get them to be genuinely different and still keep within your your special effects budget. Yeah, there are yeah. also challenges to thinking about the future of religion and to thinking about the future of human culture and language and things of that sort as well. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like Christians get really nervous anytime that you have any kind of um, Christian illusion in your work, and they don't know what your uh, your agenda is artistically or why you're doing something. Um, I, fun story. I was actually uh, banned from watching the original Battlestar when I was a kid because of that episode where Count Iblis is performing mm. miracles in the fleet. Yeah, my mom saw that, and the wall of protection came down immediately, and there was no more Battlestar for me. Because I think she just considered it any kind of reference uh, that to be sort of you know sacrilegious or something like that. Like there's a you know canon is a religious word, and of mm. course it gets applied to uh, to fans' efforts a lot these days. But the idea that there are more stories to tell outside of what we've got in the Old and New Testament just seems like a no go for a lot of Christian minds. Yeah, and that that um, sort of War of the Gods, you know, those episodes featuring yeah. Count Iblis, I mean, there's there's so much in there that has obvious religious resonance if you're tuned into those sorts of things. I'm pretty sure that it's possible to watch it and not get that fully, but mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're watching as a child, right? So a lot may depend on when one saw those episodes. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it was much later. Um, it was, you know, becoming a religion professor and doing these sorts of things that it's like Iblis. Oh, you know, that's basically you know, a name for Satan in the Islamic tradition. So right. very interesting that that's used there. And then, you know, who is this character? And then where does that whole idea of, you know, that those beings on that other ship, you know, the, the sort of glowing ship, uh, Sorry if that's a spoiler, but this was in the 70s. Surely you can talk about it without having oh, to say spoiler fine. alert every <laughs> yeah. time, right? Patrick McNee is, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, but saying, you know, what, you know, what we are, you know, you may one day become and what you are, we once were and things like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, reflecting at least some of some things that are at the very least compatible with and most likely an expression of the creator Glenn A. Larson's own uh, uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints perspective on things. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much woven through that series, which, of course, some of which in a transformed way get becomes part of the reboot and things like that, mm -hmm. which I think even more parents are worried about their kids watching if they're very young right <laughs> right for other reasons uh, for other reasons yeah. for more adult reasons yeah, yeah. <laughs> in terms of content well that's you know that's actually i'm, I'm tempted you know uh, sorry if this is going in a direction that you oh, go wherever no you want intention, but <laughs> go, but i think it's interesting that you know who who objects to violence right and how many parents or it's like well that's okay you know even if you're kind of young who objects to sex, right? And that's where it's like, oh no, we can't let them watch that. Mm -hmm. And then who objects to, you know, there are religious themes of a subtle nature that, you know, use a name from the Islamic tradition. So we can't let someone watch that. Yeah, I think it's a much smaller group, right? <laughs> but partly overlaps or maybe entirely overlaps with, you know, one or both of the others. And so I think even that question of what parents, you know, decide kids should watch and how it relates to religion, to morals, to other things. Yeah, you know, there, there's so much there that's really interesting. Uh, Starfleet is always running into godlike beings, um, mm. beings like Q, Trelane, the Metrons, yeah. Apollo. And these beings show omnipotence, they show omnipresence and immortality. And yet Starfleet never 
even stops to question the implications of a being like that. They're just like, uh, yeah, no, it's some kind of alien or it's a trick. There's nothing spiritual about it. You know, Kirk meets God. Picard meets, quote unquote, the devil. And they're both like, all right, what's 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 the play here? What's what's the trick here? I noticed there's no specific question there, but I will, uh, <laughs> I can think of a whole bunch. And so I'll ask them of myself and then answer them. Yes. But yeah, I think, you know, there's, there, there's very interesting language there. And again, this relates directly to, you know, project that I'm working on and as well as some things that I've, I've written in the past on this subject. Mm-hmm. I mean, Captain Kirk says when they meet Apollo, you know, Apollo's no God, but he may have been mistaken for one once. Right. right. And that's very much the ethos, not just of Star Trek, but of a lot of sci-fi, right? I mean, mm-hmm. think Stargate, think Doctor Who. Ancient right? astronauts. There's, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of that sort of thing. And I think there are two things that are particularly noteworthy there, right? One is Apollo literally exists in this imagined universe, right? right. Mm-hmm. I'm in the same department with colleagues in classics and they find, you know, they study these stories and I'm pretty sure that, you know, not, well, I know not, they don't, but I'm pretty sure that they could survey left, right, and center all across the field of classics and find that even the most sympathetic readers of ancient Greek literature are not saying, Apollo, Apollo exists, just a space alien, or <laughs> Apollo exists, but some other, right? And right. so the fact that Apollo literally exists in this supposedly skeptical of religion universe and vision of the future Mm-hmm. is itself interesting right yeah, i mean you're saying he literally exists right i mean that's <laughs> right. you know that's gosh you know but then you're saying but he's not really god right and then again you're getting into theology right because mm-hmm. who says that an advanced alien can't be a god right in that sense right yeah and i mean you, you mentioned omnipotence i mean if it, you know i'm not sure that apollo or q or any of these figures you know, are truly omnipotent i mean especially because they end up being defeated by the crew of the Enterprise, which well, yeah. you'd right, imagine right. An, a truly omnipotent being might not have as part of their experience, right? Yeah. But the truth is that almost no tradition, even the very strongly monotheistic ones, are, are good at telling stories about God as truly monotheistic and truly omnipotent, right? There always seems to be even if there's confidence in a future victory of good over evil, there's always room for someone somewhere to put up a fight and to rebel and to all these things. And so it's not simply that, you know, there's even a vision of a supreme deity whose will is truly always done. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, Star Trek both is, you know, touching on a, one of the complications of monotheism and of theology in those traditions, but also is engaging in theology, right? If you say Apollo's no God, I mean, that's a theological statement, right? I mean, it's not like you can beam him up to the enterprise, right? Sedate him and run some tests on him. And it's like, you know, nope, the, the God detector is saying yes, or the God <laughs> detector is saying no, right? <laughs> it's, it's a theological statement. And it's saying that if a being evolved through natural processes is a product of the universe the same way we are, mm-hmm. then they're not worthy of worship and adoration. Right? Yeah. And that's a right. theological stance. And it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting one, but it's one that involves nuance and theological reflection to an extent that I think it would be, an easy, it would be easy for a viewer to miss just as they're you know, following the story and maybe not thinking about those aspects of it. That's fascinating. And the fact that you bring up the idea of 
there being uh, room for rebellion or room for uh, people to sort of strive against God. And it just puts me in the mind of something like Paradise Lost, you know, where this idea of this Miltonic Satan as, you know, the anti-hero, the sort of, or even like a character like Prometheus, you know, who is like fighting against the gods, who we identify with as, you know, a protagonist of their story, somebody who is struggling against something and trying to achieve something, you know, a, a hero, if you will. And certainly the the interesting thing is, or, well, there's lots of interesting things. So <laughs> let me put that another way. <laughs> Say as many as you can. <laughs> right. Another interesting thing is that a lot of science fiction has room for what we might call godlike entities, right? Mm-hmm. And those are much easier to weave into a story and to weave into science fiction than God, if you will, with a capital G. Right. Where, you know, there is a, you know, one supreme being, but who may be thought of in theistic terms as kind of benevolent and involved. And so really ought to be, you know, performing miracles as, you know, the crew of the Discovery are trying to do good or mm-hmm. ought to be, you know, preventing this, you know, preventing the Borg from assimilating quite so many or doing something, right? You know, <laughs> sure. whatever it is that one imagines in that context. Right. And it's interesting. There's, there's room both for the sort of mysterious, you know, God as, you know, distant, out of reach, incomprehensible, but there's something deeper about existence itself. Mm-hmm. I think Star Trek at least has room for that sort of thing to a certain extent. Uh, certainly it's there, you know, Battlestar Galactica, it's there, you know, in this, in some of the, the, the religious language. And then godlike entities that are the sort of thing that could I- easily be included in any, um, you know, any sort of polytheism, right? Any pantheon, mm-hmm. right? Can make yeah. room for um, Apollo and Q and whoever else. But in between, there's this idea of God that it's really hard to tell a story about. And I think that Star Trek can actually help religious people who at least think they subscribe to that sort of theology to ask questions about, well, why is it so hard to tell a story with this idea of God? Is it because my own life doesn't actually reflect <laughs> what I, I think theologically or what I sent to, you know, sort of in a creedal sense? Is it because there are certain convictions there that just don't make for natural storytelling? But even then, why should that be? So I think that, you know, I think there's a lot there that's interesting that can be useful as a starting point for reflection. Mm-hmm. Whatever, one's, whatever one's own views either are coming into it or end up being maybe as a result of <laughs> reflecting on it. Mm-hmm. It's, it certainly is, um, I think, when a show is really useful for people, whatever their viewpoint, to engage with and reflect on serious questions, that's when you know you've got something that is really worth, um, worth spreading the good news about to <laughs> other okay. people. All right. I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Gene certainly liked telling that kind of story. At least he returned to it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that the idea of godlike aliens. His early draft of Star Trek: The Motion Picture had Kirk fighting Jesus on the bridge of the Enterprise, <laughs> and sadly that didn't get made. Uh, but some of those ideas ended up in a draft of a novel called The God Thing, uh, which has a plot similar to The Motion Picture. And it seems like there are these godlike aliens, these powerful beings, are always showing up to to test us, to put us through our paces. 
and to test our worthiness to exist, which seems like a very mythic trope. And I wonder if for Gene, it was kind of like in, with his humanist views, like humanity beating God at his own game, like uh, God saying, eh, pretty sneaky humankind, you know, but I'll, but I'll be back. Um, and you bringing up just people seeing some of these themes uh, in their own lives. Um, I was reading a post uh, that you linked to on your blog from Internet Monk, uh, and that post cited a, a religious news article by um, NYU's Mitchell Stevens. And he points out that belief in God today shows no signs of diminishing. He cites a survey from 2012 that says only 13% of the world's population would describe themselves as atheists, and only 5% of Americans do. Yet Stevens argues that religion and the idea of this capital G God, uh, whatever you want to call him or her, have diminished somewhat. People consider less the idea that God exerts influence in our day-to-day lives. And he theorizes this is due to religions or traditions being less demanding or restrictive, um, religions having less to explain, and things like world events, politics, um, natural events being decreasingly credited to a divine hand. And I wonder if that... uh, He also brings up a passage, I should say, um, from Prometheus Unbound by Shelley Mm -hmm. about the altars and thrones, basically the religious and political powers of the time, that the powers and principalities, if you will, um, being not overthrown, but being unregarded, that is turned away from and forgotten, which when I think about it would sound pretty fitting coming out of the mouth of somebody like Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. And one of the things that I think people don't always reflect on as much as is deserved is the very notion of a God that can be ignored because if you think about the gods of ancient Greece or ancient Egypt, you think about uh, the God of the Bible, there's, there's no ignoring a God who is doing the things that are depicted in these stories. Yeah. And yet we go through most of our life and it's certainly there are people who daily it's, I need a parking spot. I pray. Eventually <laughs> there it is. And sure. Yeah, thank God, right? And there's a complexity to that, you know, that, and there are interesting facets of that that are inadequately explored. I mean, on the one hand, those who articulate that viewpoint clearly haven't thought very deeply about, okay, there are people who are literally starving, and you're saying that God is basically ignoring them or choosing them to suffer in that way while giving you a parking spot, right? What is, what is the, the theology behind that and right. you know what kind of morals does that articulate and theological um, values and things like that but on the other hand the very fact that it's possible to ignore god it's possible to debate with a christian apologist on the internet get in reddit get 200 or even 2000 comments into a, a debate and never be smitten by a lightning bolt or something like that, or you know something that one might expect, if right? Only. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure both sides, you know, <laughs> I mean, theistic and atheists alike are, are wishing that you know yeah. lightning bolts were an option at some point in that. Yeah. And some of the, some of the people who are reading, feeling frustrated by both sides, are maybe wishing that a lightning bolt would, you know, kind of fairly uh, target both uh, participants in some of these conversations. <laughs> right? Really depends. Yeah. But the idea of a god that could be ignored is is a concept of God, right? It's a theological concept. Um, Just like we might say a God that not so much can be ignored, but is what uh, Paul Tillich, the theologian called the ground of being, right? Who is essentially 
the essence of reality itself, ultimate reality, but may not have some of the personal attributes, you know, except in, you know, in as much as some of those things may be useful in a metaphorical sense or as symbols, but is not fine tuning your life so that, you know, you have convenience at traffic lights or finding parking spots while other people are suffering immensely. Yeah. And so there's a sense in which the, the secular vision of the future where people are not trying to say, well, Klingons are surrounding us. This must, this must be what God wants. Right? <laughs> right. There's in fact something that may be, you know, more theologically mature and not simply, you know, inherently agnostic or atheistic or simply secular. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's, I think there's, there, there are interesting things that come out of thinking about a future that can be imagined without explicit reference to God in the capital G sense mm-hmm. that helps us return to the present because that's what sci-fi does particularly well when we allow it to yeah. and ask, what does this tell us about the world? Is, is the world that's being imagined in this science fictional future the world that we live in? Is it plausible as a, a future that actually happens on a trajectory from the world we live in? Or is it one that is so far-fetched that we can't imagine it either because they've seemed to have sorted out all their problems or because we don't believe in dilithium crystals or because we don't think Apollo actually exists somewhere or because we don't think that you're ever going to get so many people to agree to not have overt religiosity and just all get along and not interfere with other cultures or something. Uh, right. I think it, it raises great questions. And that's what, that's what sci-fi and any future, future envisaging genre of human literature um, can do for us. Yeah. There's on that subject of it just being believable and relatable. Um, Gene later in life, actually uh, in an interview with the humanist magazine in 1991, shortly before his death, he did say that the characters on Trek probably had their own beliefs, but they were, um, quote, private to them. Mm. They don't evangelize or go around discussing them with other people. And that's all well and good. I suppose I could see that being plausible. But what is seems like a short-sighted uh, de- development to me is that the idea that you don't see any... Um, any ethnic traditions or ethnic religions mm. still, you know, we know that the earth of Trek's future is racially and culturally diverse, but we never see um, focus on Jewish people or Muslims or Hindu people. Yeah. Are, are, we, are we to assume that those religions have diminished as well? Yeah. I mean, I think the closest we get is, you know, um, uh, Chakotay on yes. Voyager, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. And, you know, what's interesting is that Christianity and other traditions that are sort of dominant in a focus state, I think maybe just out of concern not to alienate viewers, there's a tendency to steer clear of. Mm-hmm. And there are other traditions where you can work that in either as an actual human tradition and people will be like, oh, sure, you know, let's do the, you know, a Native American who's you know, still keeping his tradition great you right. know, or Vulcan religion patterned somewhat uh, on Buddhism or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. to at least some extent and say, yeah, well, there's a religion that seems, you know, people seem to be able to adhere to it in the secular world. And so let's do something with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a very, what's notable to me, you know, as somebody who is engaged in the academic study of religion, as well as Star Trek, is that 
it reflects a very modern, but also a very American in particular and very Protestant approach to religion, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when we talk about religion in an American context and freedom of religion, it's not that you can engage in any practice you want and that's sanctioned because you have freedom of religion. It's you can believe, you can express, as long as you're not doing things that impinge on, intersect with, or interfere with uh, state interests or traditions that we're trying to all share. So you wanna practice polygamy? Um, no, we've got problems there. You wanna practice you know, various kinds of sacrifice or um, you know, take uh, cannabis or you know, other you know, um, illicit substances? Well, we're actually going to constrain those things. Uh, but we're still gonna say that we're sticking with freedom of religion. Sure. And so there's, there's, there's definitely um, a modern, fairly American, you know, um, and fairly Protestant influence, at least, view of religion there. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you have someone like, uh, you know, Commander, you know, you have, you have Chekhov or somebody like that, right? In most countries that are predominantly Orthodox, um, including Russia, there's, there's a different kind of public versus private, you know, secular versus sacred type of relationship that functions in the society. Yeah. It certainly doesn't do things in the standard American way. And that's one of the things that there's been interesting study of Star Trek from that perspective. You know, to what extent is it actually, you know, kind of culturally hegemonic, even while it's envisaging this, um, this diverse future, because it is doing diversity in a very characteristically American sort of way. Yeah, right. That, that, that is true. Uh, I also uh, just, I read that um, it's just, it's just the practicalities of creating a TV show. You know, I've mm. heard that um, several times in creating the Bajoran people, um, putting them at the center of DS9, the producers of the show, they wanted to, you know, begin this exploration of faith in Star Trek, but the viewers didn't really seem to care that much. Mm. Um, they were much more interested in the um, political maneuverings of the Cardassians and the Dominion mm. and the uh, the war uh, with the Federation. So sometimes, you know, your audience, you know, you're constrained by that as well. We should probably talk uh, real fast here about some of the alien religions that we see in Trek. And, of course, we're talking about the Bajorans. Um, they're probably the most high-profile example of an alien religion in Star Trek. Mm. And I've been trying to find a good Earth analog for what their worship of the prophets would map on. I haven't mm. had a lot of luck, though. Is there any Earth religion that it resembles? Uh, it's polytheistic. Yeah, none, none that I've studied uh, involves, you know, aliens residing in a wormhole. Of course, well, maybe that's I, part of it is that that's sure. not the insider perspective. That's the outsider <laughs> yeah. perspective, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I also, you know, it's interesting that you went immediately to the the Bajorans, whereas the, the Ferengi religion is just fascinating. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, but with the Bajorans, I mean, there too you have, I mean, you have entities that clearly exist, right? And the debates that emerge, for instance, you know, as um, comes up in one episode about you know, how people are being taught about the wormhole and right, the yeah. prophets or aliens. And, you know, are you, you know, is it okay to use secular language about somebody else's sacred tradition? Is it, you know, the job of a, a science teacher, an educator to offer the faith perspective? And, you know, so it explores yeah. issues that clearly are trying to comment on and get us talking and thinking about issues in our own time, in our own society. But once again, we have entities that 
there seems to be no debate exists, assuming that people believe, you know, command, you know, Cisco and as well as the Bajorans. And of course, one could say, yeah, I mean, one could imagine that there are, I can't remember if anyone actually says, yeah, I don't think the prophets exist, period. Right. I mean, I don't remember any prophet atheists, although there may have been at some point. Yeah, but you're in like agnostics or atheists. I don't yeah, remember that either. Right. Everyone seems to be on board with the fact that these entities exist, which itself is interesting, right? right. Um, is that because you've had, you know, this emissary who's been there and is like, yeah, no, I'm not even Bajoran and I've met them, you know. <laughs> right. But, Actually, but the, in the mirror universe, we do meet Vedic. Uh, he's not a Vedic. He's just Boreal from the mirror universe. Right. And he doesn't seem to be particularly uh, devout. So I guess it's possible yeah. if circumstances and events are different, yeah. maybe they, they don't develop with this uh, this devotion. And, you know, being being devout versus nominal is not the same thing as being, you know, in some sense, religious versus you know, completely atheistic, you know, so there's, mm. there's that as well. Mm. But, but these are beings that, I mean, are they outside of time? They certainly don't relate to time yeah. the way yeah. that we do. Yeah. And so it's, it's not um, being outside of time in the theological sense necessarily, or is it, you know, and Seems what is like that it. like? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there also there's a, there's a tradition uh, in the Bajoran faith of, as well of of charity and humility and faith, mm. uh, which seems uh, very Christian. Uh, something that um, Louise Fletcher, who plays uh, Kai Wen, said is that an interesting aspect of their faith is that it doesn't seem like they have a text really. I mean, they have some scrolls and some sort of forbidden knowledge that we see later in the show, but there's no there's no real uh, written word in their um, future society. And she, she remarked that that made subverting the faith easier. It made, the, it made them easier to sway, uh, especially in terms of um, what we see in the later seasons with the uh, cult of the Pawraiths kind of coming to prominence. Yeah, and I think that um, maybe even more so than works of historical fiction that try to depict these elements in humanity's past where mm. it's, it's, it's hard for us to think outside of our own experience, but it can be very hard for people who are studying human religious traditions, uh, things like you know, the biblical tradition to imagine themselves into a time when you have this person that the label prophet is applied to Right. Saying certain things. And you can't just say, well, let me look that up in the Bible and see if uh, <laughs> sure. that, you, what you're saying agrees with that. A right. Pre, or a pre Gutenberg right? age. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you have you have Paul writing these things in letters and these letters are not scripture. Right. Yeah. And, right. and he's saying, let's include Gentiles and they don't need to be circumcised. And the people who do have some texts at that stage. Right. Uh, and Paul had this text as well. Right. Could say. Well, wait a minute. In Genesis, it says every member of Abraham's household. It's like, yeah, but we're not going to do that. And here's why, right? Yeah. So yeah. there's, and there you do have text, but you have a figure who's doing really controversial things with those texts. Yeah. And interpreting them in controversial ways and applying them in very controversial ways. And I think there are a lot of people who would not be on board with Paul's arguments if Paul's arguments were not for them already part of scripture, right? Sure. And so, a story that's set in a fictional setting in which either there are no texts or there are texts, but there's debate, debate about how to interpret them can also be a useful way of getting someone outside of the, the mundane realm in which these things are familiar, but also susceptible to pat, pat answers of one sort or another mm -hmm. into an imaginative scenario in which it might just be possible to say, wow, what would it be like if 
I just, I had to figure out who speaks for the prophets and sure. I can't just look it up <laughs> somewhere yeah. and, and get myself uh, clarity on that. Yeah. You have a post, a uh, great post on your blog that relates to that called Greenish Darth Vader and the Myth of an Unchanging Original Text, which should be pretty pretty easy for people to Google uh, yeah. about that same thing, uh, the idea yeah. of uh, religious canon and how it relates to uh, fan canon. Uh, you mentioned the Ferengis. I wanted to hit them really quick. They're so interesting because yeah. they have this overarching social con- construct of profitability and ambition that it ties together their government, their religious beliefs, their f- social interactions, their interactions with family, their whole society. And I was trying to think, again, of some sort of uh, non-fictional real-world analog to that, and I don't really didn't come up with anything. Uh, yeah, does the prosperity gospel count, or uh, could we... Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could, at the very least, I don't know that anyone's yet written something on, like, Ferengi religion and the prosperity gospel, but isn't that a great book chapter? I mean, shouldn't somebody write that? I think your, your, your mission's clear here, I think. If, if no one else gets there before me... Uh, I might just do it. Yeah, go uh, for but it. in the meantime, I if somebody <laughs> hears this and wants to run with it, you know, I have I have several projects in the works, and uh, you know, if somebody else wants it, I'm willing to let them do. It. You know, the Ferengi religion and the prosperity gospel are both you know interesting to me, but neither one is the one that I've focused the most attention on and things that I've yeah. <laughs> written so far. And so, if somebody else is passionate about this, you know, just. Let me know, and I won't even touch the subject until you've, oh, you've had a first shot at claim it. Claim it. So, You're way yeah. too retiring. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to mention quick uh, the Ocampa from Star Trek Voyager, and they have this kind of like Abrahamic relationship with the caretaker. Um, I've, I've heard it suggested as well that there's a lot of the Gnostic tradition in the Ocampa caretaker dynamic. There's this idea that the Ocampa have have a lot of lost knowledge. They've fallen from some you know higher ideal. And there's a demiurge in the form of the caretaker uh, who, of course, has a female counterpart or opposite. And I have to think that that was what was on the mind of the, the writers of, of Voyager when they put this together. Yeah, and I haven't, I haven't actually looked into whether, you know, uh, to the extent that the intention of authors matters and you know there's debate about that sure, right in sure. the interpretation of texts including yeah. you know um visual texts like star trek um i haven't looked into whether that was a conscious influence in the way that it sometimes has been in other in other sci-fi franchises and other sci-fi stories uh i have an, a personal interest in uh, gnosticism i've actually been involved in a project to study uh one particular tradition that um, existed in ancient times, but made it down to the present day. Uh, I won't get started on that because I know we're getting close to the end of, sure. you know, you're trying to wrap things up in the near future. But uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting question that I am very interested in looking at uh, even in even more detail than I have up till now. Uh, we are running out of time. Before we go, I wanted to ask you about the new season of Star Trek Discovery. Um, you've written multiple uh, posts on your blog about uh, Discovery. And of course, in this season, there seems to be a specific f- uh, focus on, on on faith and belief, um, explicitly in the episode New Eden, where Pike and crew discover a um, mm-hmm. an offshoot, a colony, if you will, um, a, a group of humanity who has combined sort of their religions. And do you think that... Um, it's clear that there's a focus on faith, but what do you think about their the amalgam uh, that we see of religions um, in that episode in that in that colony? What do you think about uh, Discovery's take on that? Yeah, I mean, there certainly have been efforts in human history in the past to get people of a variety of religious traditions to come together in a new one. Um, I can think of several examples, you know, ranging from 
uh, you know, India to, you know, more recently, you know, um, emerging out of, you know, Persia or Iran, the Baha'i tradition, you know, and oftentimes those end up being just, you know, they give birth to another tradition. This one doesn't seem to have a last prophet the way that sometimes those other ones have where yeah, it's like, yeah. we've got this one last one who's going to gather up all the other stuff and bring it to fruition. Uh, but maybe the red angel is that in a sense, even though it's an absent figure, but it's one who rescues them all. And it's, it, it's clearly not a situation that involved favoritism towards adherence to one religion. And therefore it requires that sort of reflection on, yeah, why would this entity save this diverse group if the entity is a Christian angel or a Muslim angel or a, yeah, or a, a, a secular angel, if you, if there is such a thing, right? Sure. Which, there yeah. could be in the sci-fi, in um, the Star Trek universe. Yeah. And so I think, you know, there, there are interesting questions about whether in that specific circumstance, you could imagine people actually working out those differences. Yeah. But it, one imagines that that kind of trauma would either get people killing each other or would have people saying, we're so grateful and we're so desperate and we're so confused that we're going to let all bygones be bygones and we're going to just merge it all together and make it work somehow. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, that's, yeah, and, that's what it seems yeah. like. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're 20 early 21st century people, uh, not Federation citizens and coming from all these yeah. faiths, there's this just sort of, not survivor's guilt necessarily, but this mentality of why us? And they sort of uh, amalgamate this 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 faith based on that. I thought it was interesting to place, uh, to develop for Pike the backstory of having his father be a uh, comparative religion yeah. uh, and yeah. also a science professor as well. Right. And, and of course, you know, what kind of budget constraints was the Federation facing in those days that the same person is teaching both those subjects? You know? <laughs> uh, there's think, all yeah. kinds of interesting questions there, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it might also be just, uh, you know, the, um, it's a it's a non scarcity society, and so you can just kind of do whatever you want or whatever um, interests you. Yeah, and that's Hopefully. that's been my experience. I mean, I'm just really happy, you know, where I've been, you know, privileged to work and you know have had the chance to, you know, write on such a diverse array of subjects. And so, yeah, yeah. maybe that's why I like um, this this most recent um, depiction of of uh, Captain Pike so much. Uh, I can relate on that level. Well, Dr. McGrath, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, there's so much we haven't talked on or touched on, and we'll have to have you back on again. Where can people find you online? Uh, so if they type in religion prof and uh, reject Google's offer to turn it into two words, right. uh, they will almost <laughs> certainly find me. I have um, a blog, a Twitter account, and also a podcast that are sort of branded using that. And I mean, James McGrath at Butler University. And of course, if you type in James McGrath and Star Trek, there is actually another one. Um, we'll leave that as a trivia okay. you know, matter for people to discover. But I think they'll find me as well um, somewhere if they, if they look hard enough. And you have a book, Theology and Science Fiction, that I'm assuming covers some of the topics that we've discussed today. Yeah. And I tried to do it in a, a non-sectarian way, both as far as theology is concerned, but also as far as sci-fi franchise, right? Because sure. there are people who know one franchise and love it and another one they're not quite fans of in the same way. Sure. And I want it to be a book that could be used in, in teaching, right? On religion, science fiction, um, in a, without it having to require any specific viewings or readings of the professor and the students. Sure. And so I do try to get at sort of the big picture things that I think relate to 
Star Trek, but relate to other franchises as well. Like, you know, can a a machine have a soul? Can an alien be a god? And all all the kinds of things that we've been either touching on or skirting around in this episode so far. I'll put a link in the show notes to your Amazon page so people can check out that book. Thanks again for joining me. Yeah. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. And yeah, if you ever want to continue the conversation, uh, I've enjoyed it immensely and uh, would love to do so because I agree there's, there's a lot more we could talk about than we have time for today. Well, thanks so much. Yeah.